Did you know that an infant has double the number of neurons of a typical adult? I know I definitely didn't. Have you ever thought about how your brain works and what makes it tick? Personally, I have no idea. This week, we'll take a unique look at the book, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain, and take the lessons and figure out how we can reroute our brains towards better financial decisions. Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Welcome to episode number seven. This week, we're going to focus on the book, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. This book was written by Lisa Feldman Barrett. She is among the top 1% most cited scientists in the world for her research on psychology and neuroscience. She is a professor at Northwestern University and has a lot of other things on her list of accomplishment. I do not remember how I found this book, but it was something that I just saw and it was an intriguing thing to think about. One of the things that she talks about is that your brain's most important job is to control your body by predicting energy needs before they arise so that they can effectively make worthwhile movements and survive. And so we typically think that our brain is for thinking and forming thoughts, but our brain is actually the management system for our whole body. Your brain continually invests your energy in hopes of earning a good return, such as food, shelter, affection, protection, so that you can perform your most vital task, which is passing your genes on to the next generation. So you think about your brain in that framework, and it changes a little bit about the way you think about your brain in general. I know that that I've not put much thought into how our brain operates. You know, you kind of just think, well, you have these different areas of your brain that are responsible for different sorts of processing. And she talks about how our brain wires everything else. So she does seven and a half lessons. One of those half lessons being kind of pointing out that your brain is not for thinking. And then she has seven additional lessons or things that we can learn about in the brain. It was a really interesting read. A few things just kind of blow your mind a little bit. And I'm going to talk about today how we can apply a couple takeaways to our financial life. Takeaway number one, a human embryo creates twice as many neurons as the adult brain needs. Little brains tailor themselves to the environment they're a part of and a bad environment alters development significantly. It's important that we help create an environment for children that maximizes their brain development. Lesson number three, 
was called Little Brains Wire Themselves to Their World. And I mentioned this in the introduction that human embryos create twice as many neurons as the adult brain needs, and that infant neurons, the word that she used, are bushier than neurons in an adult brain. So unused connections are helpful at the outset because they help enable a brain to tailor itself to a diverse environment. So what that means is as those neurons are firing, you're developing pathways that are refining themselves. And so the bushiness is kind of getting cut off, kind of getting uh, like you would with a tree. You would go clip off the little feeder branches that you don't want to develop. The same thing is happening in your brain. The unused connections are a burden as they create a metabolic uh, weight adding to your needs and they don't contribute anything. So instead of maintaining them, they prune those connections like we talked about with the tree and they make room for more learning and create more useful connections along the way. You're helping the child create those new connections, those new pathways that are going to be there for the rest of their lives. Research shows that poverty is bad for brain development. Associated with poverty and associated with things that hurt your brain development is bad nutrition and interrupted sleep. A quote from the book, research shows that early and long exposure to poverty is bad for developing the brain. Inadequate nutrition, interrupted sleep due to street noise, poor temperature regulation due to lack of heat or ventilation, and other circumstances of poverty may alter the development of the front of the cerebral cortex, mainly the pre- frontal cortex. We do know that poverty also is linked to poor performance in schools and fewer years of overall education. While we may not be in a place where obviously we can control whether we're in poverty or not, we can try and control the environment that a child grows up in. That environment that a child grows up in by helping them get good sleep, by helping them and providing adequate nutrition, we are helping their brain develop, which is going to help them perform better in school, perform better in the situations they're presented with. And that good environment is going to help them as they make financial decisions when they grow older. The other thing about this is that those decisions that if you're if you're helping them with their brain development through these things that we've talked about you can also be teaching them the financial basics before they get out and learning is super important because when those pathways are becoming fixed We know ourselves, the mindsets that we had or the things that we grew up in as children are things that affect us as adults. 
I know this is a big motivating factor for me because I think that anything that I'm teaching a child today, any opportunity that I get is something that could be passed on for generations. And so even if something does not stick the first time, you're setting seeds that could potentially impact them down the line. And I think it's super important that not that anyone here is trying to damage or or hurt their children, but that we think about ways that we can assist in that brain development. A second point from this is toddlers manage their own body budgets well when caretakers give them learning opportunities. Quote from the book again, it says, in general, toddlers learn to tend their own body budgets better when their caretakers create learning opportunities for them instead of hovering and taking care of their every need. A big challenge of parenting is knowing when to step in and when to step back. And I can definitely tell you, I do not know these things, right? Because I, we are just now expecting a child, so I don't have any children. But I'm using this, using what she's trying to teach us as a framework for how I want to approach my child. Just because I want to approach it this way doesn't mean that I always will succeed in that. So as we talk about this, it's definitely something that's an aspirational thing versus always a reality. Using this for the personal financial benefit is if toddlers are good at tending to their own body budget, we need to create opportunities for them to learn. And we can do this with money. We can teach our children about money early and give them the opportunity to learn through trial and error. Some examples of this. We can give a child an allowance. This allowance allows them to have money, to possess money. We can teach them the lessons of saving and spending and investing and will allow them to develop some of those muscles while they're underneath your tutelage. Now, we may think that this is not that effective because we see why I did all this stuff and we see all these kids that had allowances and they don't have good outcomes, but you're always planting seeds. Children are going to make their own choices. I know I definitely did in a number of cases, but if we plant those seeds, the seeds that were planted resulted in me making different choices once I came to my senses that I needed to make different choices. I had an easier time because those seeds were planted than a number of people who had never had the seeds planted. With the allowance or whatever whatever this looks like for us, another example of teaching our kids about money is that instead of buying toys or buying things for our children, we can set up opportunities for them to buy their own things. Then they have to make the decision. They have to decide what the trade-off is. I guarantee this piece of advice, if followed, will create some tantrums, right? It'll create some bad reactions. But the hope is, is that by giving them the responsibility, they begin to understand the trade-offs that they have to make. That trade-off is going to be, I can't get this toy because last week I bought this other toy. That's going to be a hard lesson for any child to make. 
with this, you can also provide them opportunities to earn more money. And so then that reinforces to them earning money is a good thing. It reinforces to them that earning money can come with rewards. You also want to incentivize saving. You want to incentivize giving. I know my parents, every time I was given money um, as an allowance, I had to put aside money for a tithe to our church. And that built a habit that was strong and continued to be strong in me today. If I hadn't have done that, I think just knowing myself, I would have mentally struggled to, to make that leap because I would have struggled to see the connection. I would have struggled to give up what I felt like was mine. But obviously the tithe, the whole point of that is to identify that this is not mine. This is God's and it's to give up that piece as a act of obedience to that. You may not believe the same way, but giving even outside of the church provides a lot of those same benefits. So I think it's important that we give our children the opportunity to give and to be generous because that's going to develop in them and that's going to put seeds in that can help them later on in life, be less focused in on money, right? We're focusing them on money by making them buy their own stuff, by giving them opportunities to earn, and then we're providing a counterbalance by giving them opportunities to give. Another thing my parents did and I've seen done, parents didn't do it a lot, but I think I remember an instance or two, if I saved money, I was rewarded for that saving. If saving for, say, a new car, being told that, hey, if you save for every dollar that you save, we'll match 50 cents or we'll match a dollar, didn't realize it then, don't know that I realized it until thinking about this, but that is a perfect simulation of the 401k match at work. So we're incentivizing them. We're giving them those endorphins, those that feedback that savings is good and that hopefully when they get down the line, savings will become an important part, which savings is the difference between living paycheck to paycheck and having a buffer, having an emergency fund. So again, I want to re-emphasize this. I am no expert on children. I'm no expert on teaching children. I am going to be learning these lessons on the fly here in the next years, but I think it's super important that we evaluate and intentionally teach our children lessons about money, how to manage their money, how to give, how to save, and how to invest. I didn't specifically talk about investing here, but investing for children is something that is beneficial to the parents and the child. A reason for that is, is is if you teach your child to invest when they have earned income, if you look at the compounding tables, the compounding is going to be insane for them because of how many years it had to compound. But then also, if they invest, say they invest and, and you're not having to pay for schooling because of investing that was done or money that was had, 
that is a financial benefit to the parents as well. Also, building well-adjusted children means that they're not going to stay in your house as long, hopefully, right? And that by not staying there as long, you are going to be better off because they're not going to be mooching off of you unless you make them pay rent, which I can understand. I feel like there's maybe a little bit of cruelty in that. But to recap, we want to create an environment that allows our child's brain to develop We want to give a child an allowance. We want to discuss saving, investing, and spending with children and allow them to see their own consequences, allow them to develop and create learning opportunities for them to develop their financial muscles. Takeaway number two, your brain is a prediction machine where your day-to-day experiences are all carefully controlled hallucinations. Say what? These hallucinations slash predictions allow you to operate less rigidly and more fluidly, which allows you to operate. If we can change the predictions our brain makes, we can change our actions the next time. In lesson number four, the title is Your Brain Predicts Almost Everything You Do. A quote from this chapter says, Scientists used to believe that the brain's visual system operated sort of like a camera, detecting the visual information out there in the world and constructing a photographic-like image in the mind. Today, we know better. Your view of the world is no photographed. It's a construction of your brain that is so fluid and so convincing that it appears to be accurate, but sometimes it's not. This is just a crazy idea that I still don't know that I completely wrap my mind around or completely understand, but neuroscientists like to say that our day to day experiences are a carefully controlled hallucination constrained by the things of this world and by your body, but ultimately constructed by your brain. It's not the kinds of hallucinations that will send you to the hospital or create negative effects, but it's your experiences and your actions that guide these hallucinations, that guide the way that you're seeing the things around you. It's the way that your brain gives sense to the data that's happening, the things that are coming in, and it's something that we are going to be completely unaware of that that it's actually happening this way. The construction of this hallucination is done through prediction. Scientists are fairly certain, uh, reading this book, that your brain actually begins to sense the moment-to-moment changes in the world around you before the lights, chemical waves, and other senses of data hit your brain. So while we think the senses are what's causing it, your brain's actually predicting based off of its previous experience what's going to happen, and those senses are secondary, either confirming or denying what your brain is already hallucinating, what your brain is already forming in your mind. Your brain is wired to prepare for action first, 
So like when you move your index finger onto a trigger of a gun, you make body budgeting changes to support that movement. That was the example that she gave in the book. Your body's like internal sensing mechanisms are actually coming second to what you're seeing and everything that's going on there. So it's your brain is actually preceding these actions just slightly. So your brain is initiating actions before you're even aware of them. This is where we can immediately start to see what this means. Because in everyday life, we make choices all the time. But if our brain is taking our previous experiences or things that we're exposed to, and it's initiating those actions before we're even aware of it, that means that our brain is predicting what we're going to do, and it makes it hard to get off the trains that we've already created for ourselves, the, the things that we've wired it to do in the past, it's hard to stop those things because your brain is preceding everything that you're actually aware of. So your actions are under the control of your memory and your environments. So we can change the way that our brain predicts the future By investing time and energy, you can learn new things, you can have new experiences, or you can try new things. All of these change the way your brain predicts the future tomorrow. So it may be hard to change the action that you're about to take, but it is something that as we continue to train our brain, we continue to to form those hardwired paths that we can add new information, add new experiences that are going to change the paths that we will take in the future. And obviously, our brain is predicting that we're going to reach for that drink. But if we reach for that drink and we fill it and we make a choice to not do it, we can still not do that. But it's a lot harder when your brain's already predicting it for you. And so that explains why it can be so hard to break things or to do things differently than you've done them in the past. A quote from the book, everyone who has ever learned a skill, whether it's driving a car or tying a shoe, knows that things that require effort today become automatic tomorrow with enough practice. They're automatic because your brain has tuned and pruned itself to make different predictions that launch different actions. So this is something that is good and bad because it's good when you're developing a habit that you want to repeat. It's good when you get out of the shower, you go brush your teeth, you go through the morning routine because you're not having to think and process all that. It preserves your mental energy, which is really what the goal is here, right? Because if our goal is to reproduce, if our goal is, you know, is to create and carry on our genes, then preserving that energy allows us, you know, as you think back in the olden days, it allowed you to have the energy to fight when you needed to fight. So we cannot change the actions. It's extremely hard to change the actions in the moment. But with practice, we can make some automatic behaviors more likely by what we introduce ourselves to. So what money habits do you have that are products of your predicting brain? If you look through this lens, it changes the way you approach the problem. Instead of beating yourself up, you can ask the question, what could I introduce that would change the prediction I make? An example of this would be is stopping at the same place and getting the same food. So say you have a habit of stopping at a 7-Eleven on your way home and getting a pop and getting 
a snack, whatever that snack may be. If that route is a trigger, you've created this environment that your brain is already predicting this is what you're going to do. You can break that by deciding before you leave to take a new route. You can choose to leave at a different time because sometimes getting that can be associated with the time. It could be associated with a feeling of hunger. So you could eat a little snack right before to tell your body, hey, we're good now. So this can also work on spending issues as well. If you have things that are triggering you to spend, so if it's having the Amazon app on your phone, you can remove that app from your phone, unbookmark it from your computer, or try extensions or other applications to block you from browsing the places that you don't want to be browsing to stop your bad spending habits. A great way to do this There's an app called Freedom. I've not used it. Samantha's actually used it and actually pays for it. That helps get rid of these distractions that can help you in these actions. I'll provide a link to it in the show notes. There are so many things that we can do to counteract the negative patterns that we have. And that is just one example of of a way to get rid of some of that spending. Another way is, is maybe you take less money or you just take cash to the mall. Maybe it's you're counteracting it because that's going to break the trend that you have, that it's just easy to pull out that credit card. It's easy to pull out and it's easy to spend. Take cash, only what you're going to spend, and then you can spend the cash that you have. When you run out of that cash, you're no longer uh, able to spend additional money. We want to create roadblocks. We want to break the patterns that our brains have created to reroute, rewire our spending decisions. You can do the same thing as is with investing. You create routes to continually invest over and over again that then you want to make sure make those routes deep so that you can invest and you can reach the goals that you're trying to reach. Some examples from this on budgeting is it can be easy to not check your budget and allow those routes to continue to dig in and dig in and dig in. What we have done as a couple is we have set up a time and place that we are going to talk about those things, which creates the motivation, creates the mental routing that we're going to have those conversations on a regular basis. To create those conversations or to even just create the individual action that you need to go in and look at your spending to manage your spending. You can set up a calendar invite. You could turn on your push notifications. While I've talked about we want to turn off as many as possible, there is credence to having notifications for things that are going to help you achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve. So if that's a meditation notification, if that's a Bible reading notification, If that's a notification to go look at your budget, that is absolutely something that can benefit you in the long run. My point here is, is that you might not be able to change your behavior in the heat of the moment, but if you examine what is going on, there's a good chance you can change the prediction that your brain is going to make. With practice, you can make some automatic behaviors more likely than others and have more control over your future actions and experiences than you might think. Sometimes we're responsible for things 
not because they're our fault, but because we're the only one who can change them. So maybe our brain is wiring itself a specific way, but we're the only one who can make the decision to try and counteract the way our brain is responding. So a few more takeaways from this, and this is, this is in her epilogue, and these are things that we learned about the brain from reading the book. It says, a brain that's so skilled at rewiring itself that we think we're born with all sorts of things we actually learn, a brain that's so effective at hallucinating that we believe we see the world objectively and so fast at predicting that we mistake our movements for reactions, a brain that creates so many kinds of minds that we assume there's a single human nature explaining them all, a brain that's so good at believing its own inventions that we mistake social reality for the natural world. Just a little teaser. This is interesting to you. It's a great book to learn some new things, blow your mind in a few different ways. But it's also a great book to look at and see that our brain, our hallucination, predicting engines that are not necessarily for thinking, but are for managing our energy. And if we understand that, we can look at that and come up with ways that we can improve our finances by counteracting some of the natural things that our brain are doing. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you found this episode interesting, I would love for you to go rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcast. This helps us get the social proof we need to keep building this community and to gain traction. Thanks again for joining us. Until next week, remember, healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional decisions this week lead to a healthy financial future. Start today and we'll see you next week.